What's happening, Riv? So we are in week two of a series we're calling Advent that are going through kind of the traditional four weeks of Advent. And so last week we looked at hope. Today we're looking at faith. The week after that we're going to look at joy. And we're going to wrap up on Christmas Eve weekend. Where, by the way, we're pushing all of our services onto Christmas Eve that weekend on Saturday. Um, that will be looking at the idea of peace. And so last week we looked at this idea of hope through the lens of the prophet Isaiah. And if you were here, you may remember that the thing about hope is that it is future-oriented. What hope does is it looks down the corridor of time, and it finds something down there, and it has confident expectation in that thing. That's what hope is. And so maybe, for instance, you are hoping um, that your big career pivot you're planning on making in 2023 actually works out, Right? Or maybe you have hope that your family, when you gather on Christmas, will not kill each other. That's called hope. You're looking into the future, you see something, and then you have confident expectation um, that it is going to take place. And Isaiah, along with all the rest of the Old Testament prophets, they had hope. They had hope that a Messiah would come, that a Savior King would come, that would one day set everything straight. They had confident expectation that that was going to happen. That is hope. Today we're going to look at faith. And faith and hope are interconnected. Because what faith does is it looks down the corridor of time to that thing that we have our hope in and grabs it and drags it into the present, into the now. And there's a sense in which, because of that is what faith is, it makes it kind of weird to talk about faith in the context of Christmas. Because a lot of times with Christmas, we're not looking forward, we're looking backward. We're looking back to Bethlehem, back to the story of Jesus and the babies and the shepherds and the sheep and the angels and the wise men, which basically, by the way, the wise men came a couple years later. If you don't know that, just messes your whole nativity scene. My wife was setting one of those up the other day and playing around with it, and I took the wise men and put them in another room because they're not there. Um, but that's a, that's, that's a whole thing. But, uh, but that is what we do in the Christmas story is we don't just look back to that Christmas event when Jesus came to the, for the first time to earth, but we look forward to the day that he has promised that he will one day return. Our hope is still future. Jesus is, uh, uh, told us, Jesus told us that just like he came the first time, he will return to earth. His half-brother James urged us to be patient as we wait for that day. The apostle Paul encouraged us to eagerly wait for that day, and he called it our blessed hope. And so there's this sense in which we're in the same boat as the people of Isaiah. We are waiting for the Messiah. We are waiting for the Savior King who will come and set everything straight. Having hope a confident expectation that Jesus will return, what we do by faith is we grab that and we drag it into the present. Now, why is that so important? Well, when I was working on this message on Thursday, I opened my news app and on the first page of my news app, there were four headlines. I want to read the four headlines to you. And because I'm not sure if you've noticed how jacked up our world is, these headlines will help. Um, the first headline said, Iran conducts conducts first known execution of prisoner arrested during protests. The second said Celine Dion postpones tour dates as she reveals incurable health condition. The third said TikTok's viral challenges keep luring young kids to their deaths. 
And the final one said, extreme floods expose the flaws in FEMA's risk maps. And here's the deal. This is not how the world should be. And it is not how the world will be. We have hope in that because of Jesus. And so what do we do right now when life is pretty jacked up? We live by faith. We reach out to that thing that we have hope on and we drag it into the present and we have faith now. What is faith? Well, the author of Hebrews gives us the most famous definition um, when he writes, now faith is the reality of what is hoped for. It is the proof of what is not seen. Do you see how, how that is faith dragging hope into the present? It's basically saying this unseen thing, I'm going to treat it as if it's real now. And so here's my way of kind of modernizing this and giving us a, a way to think about it. Faith is believing the unbelievable is real and going all in on that belief. Now, the Christmas story has two p characters at its center, two parallel and intersecting stories that are both stories of faith. It's the story of Jesus's mom, Mary, and Jesus's stepdad, Joe. Um, Joseph. And um, these two accounts appear in two different gospel accounts in Matthew and in Luke. And so let's start in the book of Luke and then we'll jump over to Matthew. In Luke 1 verse 26, very familiar passage. It says, in the sixth month, the angel Gabriel was sent by God to a town in Galilee called Nazareth to a virgin engaged to a man named Joseph of the house of David. The virgin's name was Mary, and the angel came to her and said, greetings, favored woman, the Lord is with you. But she was deeply troubled by this statement, wondering what kind of greeting it could be. Now, if you do a, a quick kind of survey of the Bible, there's lots of angels, but only two of them are we told their names. One is Michael, and one is Gabriel. Now, if you've been around Riv over the last year, you've heard of this guy Gabriel already. When we were going through the series on the book of Daniel, which happened 600 years before the time of Mary, Gabriel is the angel that appeared to Daniel and interpreted his vision for him. He's the guy who gave him the crazy vision of the 70 weeks. Okay, if you remember all of that in Daniel. So this same angel from 600 years before now appears to Mary. And I don't want to spoil too much of next week's message as we talk about angels, but the thing about angels is almost everything Christmassy about angels is wrong. Like everything. Like I was uh, at a restaurant with my family this week and on my way to the restroom, there was this, this lady walking in front of me and she stopped at this Christmas tree because at the top of this Christmas tree, there was this flowy, lacy angel and it was kind of doing one of these things like this. And, and the lady's like, oh, it's moving. And she stopped. And I'm like, I have to go to the bathroom. And you're in the way. But she's like, look, it's moving. She couldn't stop looking at it. That is not a biblical angel. Neither are the little cherubs. You know, the little naked cherubs, right? The little figurines like that. Because what we see in the Bible is angels are either just bonkers, crazy. Like, go, go read Daniel again. Read Isaiah. Read Ezekiel. They're kind of crazy. Or they show up in the appearance of a man that is sort of like the Navy SEAL of the universe. <laughs> they show up with such presence and such power that the first thing an angel always says is, don't be afraid. Right? And so that is, before anybody has a chance to react to them, they're like, don't panic. Right? And, and so, so if you think you've seen an angel, just ask yourself, 
What was your reaction, right? So they're always like, don't panic. Now, here's what's crazy. What I love about Mary is I was kind of tracing around all these angelic encounters in Scripture, and almost every time people show up and they freak out, they fall down, whatever happens. But Mary, she has a different reaction. Do you see what it says? She doesn't freak out by his appearance. It says, the angel came to her and said, "Uh, greetings, favored woman, the Lord is with you. But she was deeply troubled by the angel? No, by the statement. She's like, wait a minute, what are you you saying? He's like, well, uh, wondering what kind of greeting this could be. What was the statement that he made? Well, the statement that he made uh, was, do do not be afraid, Mary, for you have found favor with, no, hear us. Greetings, favored woman, the Lord is with you. That's the statement that he makes, and that's what freaks her out. Why? Well, she's like, okay, angels don't appear for any reason. (laughs) And this guy just said, you're favored. Now, favored has the same root word as grace. Grace means getting something you don't deserve. So the angel's saying, I'm here to tell you that you're going to get what you don't deserve, right? And and that the Lord is with you. And I think Mary's thinking, okay, what is going on, right? She senses the other shoe is about to drop. (laughs) And this is what the angel says in verse 30. Then the angel told her, do not be afraid, Mary of the statement, for you have found favor with God. Now listen, you will conceive and give birth to a son, and you will name him Jesus, and he will be great, and he will be called the Son of the Most High, and the Lord God will give him the throne of of his father David, and he will reign over the house of Jacob forever, and his kingdom will have no end. Now there's so much here, but look at this. Gabriel calls Mary by name. He lets her know that God knows her, that she is known, and that God has a will and a plan for her life. And I don't know about you, I always want God to tell me exactly what the plan is. Just want, I want an angel someday. I'll freak out, pee my pants a little bit, and then we'll have a conversation, and I'll know exactly right. What is the plan you have for my life, right? That's what I want. Um, I don't get that, but Mary got that. He's like, God knows you. You're favored. Here's the plan. Here's what's going to happen. You're going to have a son. In fact, you don't even have to get out the name book. I'm telling you the son's name. His name is Jesus. His name is already picked out for him. And that name Jesus has significance because Jesus means Yahweh, God, saves. Jesus means Yahweh, God, is salvation. But not only that, here's what's crazy. Jesus was one of the most common names in first, the first century. So It is. It's why Jesus was often referred to as Jesus of Nazareth. People be like, which Jesus? Oh, the Jesus of Nazareth, right? Because there's too many Jesus. It's like when we, we named our daughter Emma. We loved the name Emma. We named our daughter Emma. Then we found out that everyone names their daughter Emma, right? Back in the day when my daughter was in school, you could not throw a stick at an elementary school without hitting an Emma. I, no, I don't recommend throwing sticks at elementary schools or Emmas, but, but there were just so many of them, right? And that's kind of what it was with Jesus. Now, what I love about that is Jesus' name is both pro- prophetic and providential, and it's common. Jesus is fully God, fully divine, and fully human, relating to us. And then the angel gives Mary five things she can know about her kid. For those of you who have had kids, you know, you have this little kid and you wonder, what's she going to be like? What's he going to be like? What's their personality going to be? What are they going to do? Gabriel says, Mary, here's five things you can know about your kid. First, he will be great. 
And we're like, of course, everybody thinks their kid is great, right? <laughs> the problem is that's not a very great word um, because it's just about as generic as we use it in English. In the original language, super generic. It's like, great. Well, why does the angel say the word great? <laughs> like, I, I did this deep dive trying to find anything significant about the word great. The best thing I found about great is that Jesus told us what great is. Because his disciples at one point began to argue with one another about what great is and which one of them is the greatest. You know what he said is the greatest? The one who is last and servant of all. And that is what Jesus, Mary's son, would be. He was going to step out of heaven and be born as a helpless baby. God divine becomes incarnate. And then this baby would lay down his life when he became a man for the world. He would come, in his own words, not to be served, but to serve, and to lay down his life as a ransom for many. That's what made him great. And Mary's boy would also be the son of the Most High. Now that phrase is kind of like um, saying this son takes on the character attributes of his dad. You've heard the phrase, um, the apple doesn't fall far from the tree, right? He's a chip off the old block. That's kind of what this phrase is saying. It's saying that he is divine, that he is of the same nature and essence as his father. It says the Lord God will give him the throne of his father, David. That means Jesus will be the Messiah, the king that the Jews have been waiting for. He goes on and says, he will reign over the house of Jacob forever. In other words, he's going to rule over this nation of Israel and his rule will never end. And not only that, it says his kingdom will have no end. And the last three may sound like they're super redundant, but Gabriel is hammering home that Mary's son, who will be named Jesus, will be the Messiah that the Jews have been waiting for. He's going to be everything that they've been hoping for. He's going to be the one that is going to set everything straight. He was the guy. Of course, I wonder how much of this Mary heard because she had this nagging, fairly reasonable objection. She said, how can this be since I have not had sexual relations with a man? Fair point, Mary. Um, and I do want to stop here for a second to point out the obvious. Mary and her fiancé had not consummated their relationship. And when we hear this, to our modern ears, we think like, Oh, how old-fashioned, how quaint, right? How unrealistic, but it's more than that. We are being told that Mary and Joseph subscribed to and believed in and obeyed a biblical sexual ethic. And while this message is not about that, I do think it's time to pause and just acknowledge that. Spend a little time on that because as Christians, we shouldn't expect the world to behave like Christians, but we should expect Christians too. Right? And even a cursory glance of Scripture will show us that sexuality is one of the, the topics that comes up a lot in Scripture. And, and we see consistently that sexuality belongs within the context. Sexual expression belongs in the context of marriage, full stop. It's in the Ten Commandments. It's all over the Mosaic Law. It was reiterated by Jesus in the Sermon on the Mount and in all the Gospel and most of Paul's letters and in Jude and in Hebrew over and over and over. The Bible is consistent and it doesn't mince words on our sexuality. 
fact, one of the most frequent metaphors in the Old Testament for the nation of Israel is that they were unfaithful to the covenant relationship they had with God, that they were adulterous in their covenant relationship they had with God, because the picture is that there is a oneness that belonged between them and God. There were to be no other gods. And so for a follower of Christ, our sexual faithfulness in the context of our one marriage with our one partner represents that. Again, we don't expect the world to do that, but we do expect that that's what we are. We, we live that picture. So when we read this about Mary and Joseph, our response shouldn't be, oh, how old-fashioned, how quaint, how unrealistic. We should think how honorable, how godly, how inspiring. In fact, in a, in a wider Jewish context, it's even crazier because Mary and Joseph, in their context, would have been considered married. That year of engagement, that year of betrothal is one year. And in that one year, they, did, they behaved like a husband and wife with two exceptions. They didn't live together and they didn't consummate their marriage for that one year. That's going to become important later on. Let's go back to Mary, verse 34. Mary asked the angel, how can this be since I've not had sexual relations with a man? And the angel replied to her, the Holy Spirit will come upon you and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. And therefore the Holy One to be born will be called the Son of God. And consider your relative Elizabeth, even she has conceived a son in her old age. We don't have time for that. That's her cousin. They're old as dirt, husband and wife, no kids. At the end of their life, oh, miraculous baby. That's John the Baptist's parents. Okay. Um, and this is the sixth month for her who is called childless. For nothing will be impossible with God. Now, for a second, put yourself in Mary's shoes. This whole thing. We know the story, right? We've heard the Christmas story so many times, it just, it just almost means nothing to us. But really, put yourself in her shoes. This whole thing is unbelievable. First of all, the angel shows up right? Gives her that unbelievable greeting that she's not sure quite of what's going on. And then he tells her she's going to have a kid, even though she has not consummated her marriage, and she's been told her kid is the Messiah, he's the Savior of the entire world. What is your response? Do you think something is impossible for God? This is her response, and it's simple. She says, see, I'm the Lord's servant. May it happen to me as you have said. Now, what is Mary saying? She's saying, I'm all in. And the thing is, her reputation is about to be tarnished. Her relationship with her fiancé may be over. Her family and her friends and her community are likely to look at her very differently now than they did before. And she says, I'm in. I'm in. Faith is believing the unbelievable is real and going all in on that belief. But Mary is not the only one in this story with something at stake, is she? Matthew 1, verse 18 the birth of Jesus Christ came about this way. After his mother Mary had been engaged to Joseph, it was discovered before they came together that she was pregnant from the Holy Spirit. Now, I love this because it gives us no context and gives us no backstory and nothing. It just says, it was discovered 
before they came together. Now, there's so much that we don't know there. We don't know if Mary just told Joseph, right? We don't know if she started to show. Uh, we don't know anything. Uh, we do know that after Gabriel had, had told her about her cousin Elizabeth, she went and spent three months with Elizabeth and then came back. And we don't know. Was she looking just a little bit different or anything? But again, forget about Mary for a second. Put yourself in Joseph's shoes, right? Either Mary tells her, tells him that she's pregnant or he starts to notice because, and you know, guys, every guy in here knows the rule, right? We do not point out that we think a woman is pregnant ever, like until we see the baby. We're like, oh, you were pregnant? Didn't even know, right? We don't, we don't, we know the, the rules. And, and, and Joseph here, um, Joseph is like, at some point it's discovered that Mary is pregnant and, and you have to kind of play out, what is that conversation like? Mary's like, well, you're just not going to believe this. <laughs> An angel, it was actually the one from Daniel. You remember the book of Daniel we read? <laughs> it's that guy, showed up and told me that I'm going to have a child, um, and it's miraculous because we haven't consummated our marriage, and that child's going to be the savior of the world. We don't even have to name him, it's great. We don't have to get up a baby book or anything. It's going to be named Jesus, he's going to be great. And he's going to sit on the throne of David, and he's going to rule over the, the, uh, Jacob's nation forever, and, and his kingdom is never going to end. And again, put yourself in Joseph's shoes. What is your response? <laughs> right. Like, <laughs> good try, right? That's a tough pill to swallow for him. So it says, her husband, Joseph being a righteous man. We don't know much about Joseph because we know he's probably older. He's not in the gospel accounts very much after Jesus's childhood. But it says he's a righteous man. He's a good guy. Being a righteous man and not wanting to disgrace her publicly. Isn't that beautiful? Decides to divorce her secretly. Read between the lines. Joseph doesn't believe her. He either thinks... She's lying to him about the pregnancy, lying to him about the angel. Just He's like, I can't, can't do it. And yet as a righteous, godly dude, he's like, I also don't want to shame you. So he's like, we'll just do this quietly, but I can't, I can't be with you. But after he had considered these things, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream, saying, Joseph, son of David, don't be afraid to take Mary as your wife, because what has been conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. Now, notice how this angelic visitation is different. Did you catch it? Yep, yeah, right? Mary, the angel appears to him, like, like appears to her like, like in the living room or something. I don't know, she's watching TV, surfing the internet, doing something, and just the angel appears, right? With Joseph, the angel appears in the dream, and I think that that's significant, because are any of you guys like dreamers? Like, I'm a vivid, vivid dreamer. Like, I'm one of those people, I wake up in the morning, and if I'm angry at you, when I wake up in my dream, I'm angry for hours, right? If my wife disses me in a dream, watch out, because that carries over, just vivid, right? But I have to kind of convince myself, oh, that's not real. Like, this is an absolute true story. So my parents have a, a dog. I'm not a dog person. You're welcome to be a dog person. I just am not. And it's great. And the dog is energetic. And I was at my parents' house, this is like, uh, I don't know, a couple weeks ago, a month ago. And I'm at their house and the dog walks by me, hasn't noticed I'm in the building yet. 
So walks by me and then sees me and the dog freaks out and starts spinning in circles and jumping around me and nipping at me and slobbering on me and all that kind of stuff. And I remember thinking later, I don't know why people have dogs. Now, again, no offense if you have one. I go to bed that night and I start having a dream. And the dream is that everyone has tigers in their house. And the tigers just nip at people all the time, running around, running around, nipping at people. And so, of course, because I'm dreaming it, it feels like this is real, right? In my dream world, everyone has tigers, and I don't know why. Because I'm like, that tiger could eventually just leap on you and kill you. Do people not realize that? So there must be some kind of phobia I have of dogs that kind of came out with the tiger dream. Anyway, I wake up, and I just for, I, it takes me a while to remember that people don't have tigers in their house. Now, think about Joseph. What does it say? It said, after he'd considered these things, the guy lays down to sleep thinking about all this. Thinking about how he's got to divorce Mary quietly and all this stuff about the angel and this baby. And then he falls asleep and an angel appears to him in a dream. And I wonder, we don't know this, I'm just, I want to see the DVR someday in glory. I wonder if he woke up in the morning and said, that dream can't be real, right? Like, that would be my reaction. Like, is, is it just kind of like this vivid holdover from like, like this conversation I had with her, it kind of trickled itself into my dream space. But he knew two things. He knew the character of Mary and he knew the character of his God. And he knew the word of God. Because look what it says. It says, she will give birth to a son. This is what the angel says. And you are to name him Jesus because he will save his people from their sins. Now, all this took place to fulfill was spoken by the Lord through the prophet. See, the virgin will become pregnant and give birth to a son and they will name him Emmanuel, which is translated God with us. And I wonder if Joseph, it doesn't say that the angel told him that, but I wonder if Joseph went, there's a prophecy <laughs> And as a righteous, godly man who knew his wife, who knew his God, who knew this prophecy from Isaiah 7, if he was like, okay, I'm all in. Because faith is believing the unbelievable is real and going all in on that belief. Look at this. When Joseph woke up, he did as the Lord's angel had commanded him, and he married her. It's as simple as it gets. And it says, but he did not have sexual relations with her until she had given birth to a son, and he named him Jesus. You know, the Christmas season can seem more magical than the rest of the year. And I actually love that part. I'm, I'm all in. I'm all in on the, the, the sparkles and my, um, I, I'm, you know, I'm in a man's sparkles, you know, Christmas lights, um, you know, so that and, and all of that stuff. I'm into that. Uh, and I love that. I love that we have countless movies that center around belief in the impossible, right? We have Elf <laughs> and, and, uh, and the Santa Claus and Klaus, one of my new favorites and and die hard, you know, and, and they all, in a sense, are calling on us to have faith. But here's the thing about the way the Christmas story is told in our culture. It's faith without the crucial component of hope. It's faith for faith's sake. As followers of Jesus, 
We have faith because we look down the corridor of time and we have hope that Jesus will return to set things straight. And Jesus himself gave us a way to remember that hope. He, he gave us an act of faith that we can take uh, to center our minds and to remember that hope. It happened on the night that he was betrayed. Where it says, as they, that's him and the disciples, were eating, Jesus took bread, blessed it, and broke it, and gave it to the disciples and said, take and eat it, this is my body. And then he took a cup, and after giving thanks, he gave it to them and said, drink from it, all of you, for this is the blood of my covenant, which is poured out for many uh, for the forgiveness of sins. But I tell you, I will not drink from this fruit of the vine from now until that day when I drink it new with you in my Father's kingdom. See, work it backward. Jesus said, I'm drinking wine with you guys right now. We use grape juice, by the way, because we have people, we're trying to honor people's consciences and struggles. But he said, I'm gonna drink wine again in my Father's kingdom on that day. What's that day? Well, Revelation calls it the marriage feast of the Lamb. That day. He says, on that day, I'll drink it again with you. But until then, you take the Lord's Supper as a proclamation of that day. You set your hope on that day. And he gave us two elements. The first was wine. That declares what? Jesus' blood was poured out for the forgiveness of sins. And it's not just our sins. It's our personal sins, and it's the sins that have been committed against us. It's the sins that, that cause all the pain and the sorrow of a fallen world. It's the execution of protesters. It's the incurable disease, not just of a celebrity, but of someone that we love. It's about young kids going to death too early. It's about extreme weather in the world. Jesus sets all of that right because he will forgive the sins of those who call upon him by faith. The second element is the bread. And we often misquote Jesus here on this one, by the way. We often say, this is my body that is broken for you, but that's actually not what Jesus said. Did you catch it? He said he broke the bread, and then he said, this is my body that is given for you. And see, Paul in 1 Corinthians actually gives us a good picture of that. He says that the communion loaf, the bread, symbolizes the body of Christ, which is us. So when Jesus says, this is my body that is given for you, he's talking about us. And sometimes what happens is the, we, 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 people at Riff have asked why we do the Lord's Supper in such a chaotic fashion. I'm not sure if you've noticed, we've brought back the chaos recently. And what that means is we are going to dismiss you in a few moments to go wherever you want in the room and find yourself a table. Because there's tables all over the place. And on those tables, we have communion elements and, and, and why do we do it that way? Why don't we give you better instructions? Why don't we pass something around? Because we are the body of Christ. And we want you getting up and bumping into other people who are part of this body. We want the chaotic expression of all of us together being one in Christ. And so if you are a follower of Jesus, I want to invite you today to take part in this part of the service. If you're just checking out this Jesus thing, I would encourage you to make today the day that you trust in Jesus, that you place your faith in him. Just tell him I'm all in. And then if you've believed in him, join us at the table.
and take the Lord's Supper by faith. Like I said, uh, we have stations all over the room, and we have two different kinds of, of elements up there. The first one is, I call it the double stack. We have two cups. There's bread at the bottom, juice on the top, like that. The second one is gluten-free, and it's also prepackaged if you're somebody who doesn't like the germs of this one. So you've got both of these options. And what I want to encourage you to do is anytime during the next two songs, at your own pace, head to one of those tables. And I want to encourage you not to rush. We have time. Take a few minutes. Sit. Pray. Reflect. Consider your faith. Ask God to help you believe the unbelievable. And maybe you got something going on in your life right now that needs that prayer. Look forward to the hope of Jesus and look back to that first Christmas story and ask God to help you go all in on that belief. So anytime in the next couple songs, you're welcome to go to one of those tables after you've taken some time to consider. Let me pray for us and then we'll continue. Heavenly Father, we thank you for Mary and Joseph. And and I, I don't know if I would have had their faith. But I thank you that they did. We thank you that they believed in the unbelievable and they went all in on that belief. And so we just... We look forward to that day. We say, uh, like, like John in the book of Revelation, come Lord Jesus. We just pray that you would return. But we pray that you would not return <laughs> until all those that we love would place their faith in you. We just pray that you would make everything right in this world. And we just pray that you would start with us. Start with our hearts. Start with our brokenness. And we just pray that you would do the unbelievable in us. And we pray this in the, in the unbelievable name of your Son. Amen.